Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we get started with the podcast, I just want to let you know about our sponsor, Anchor. We're new to podcasting here at Salty Saints, and Anchor has made it so easy for us to get started. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, so let me explain a little bit about it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. The best part about Anchor, though, is that it's absolutely free. So if you, like us, want to get your word out there, you want to try your hand at podcasting, make sure that you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I am Zach, and I'm your host, and I'm sitting here with my good friend Randy Spate. Hey, yo. <laughs> we learned a couple of weeks ago in church that uh, Jesus started greeting his people by saying, hey, yo. Okay, so we, we have to give a little background. It was, it was a cartoon, and it was really goofy, but that's the one thing we all retain from it. Today, I think we might have to start calling us our, ourselves the uh, Smoky Saints podcast because we just ate at a, a like a smoked brisket place, and I cannot get the smell out of my clothes. But I smell delicious. So oh, it's 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 <laughs> magnificent. <laughs> so uh, on today's episode, we are going to get into some some tricky waters to navigate because that's always fun. I like doing that a little bit. Uh, we are going to be talking about truth and conspiracies and apologetics a little bit, I'm sure, and just kind of diving in and seeing where this thing goes. Like, I feel like you're Morpheus right now with like the red pill and the green pill, and I have to decide which one I'm going to take. And I don't know. I might be Agent Smith. I'm, uh, not so sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really nervous about this because uh, the previous two episodes that I was on. I was able to kind of figure, okay, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's where we're going. I actually uh, got together some data before, and I felt good and comfortable going into it. Today we talked about, okay, this is kind of generally where we want to go, but let's just talk. So here we sit, Zach, you and I just talking with uh, people listening in, and it's Frankly, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. No, it's okay. We just have to tread lightly, and you guys just don't need to take everything we say so seriously because there's some of these things we're probably not going to be 100% right on, but we want to direct you to the Word of God, which is correct, and uh, that's kind of our goal here. So I, right off the bat, let's talk conspiracies because that's the fun one, right? And I'm sure everything else is kind of going to get lump-summed into this, but... the. Basically, what sparked this is yesterday, um, I just recently re-downloaded Facebook, which was the worst decision of my life, because this could not be a worse time in the world to do that. Um, so if any of you see me uh, disappear, it's because it's just not there anymore. It's not because I <laughs> deleted you as a friend, I promise. Uh, but I saw a post regarding conspiracy theories and how Christians should respond to conspiracy theories, and I agreed with about 90% of it, but there were just a few statements made that 
that didn't sit so great with me. And, you know, it should be that we're always on this pursuit of truth, that Christians are, are pushing true agendas, that we're not, we're not slandering, we're not gossiping, we're not trying to attribute things to people's character that may or may not be true. But the one part about deeming everything a conspiracy theory that bothers me is technically anything could be a conspiracy theory. Until it's proven, it could be a conspiracy theory. And it's just kind of a dirty word. So when you put that on something, it promotes the idea of of not questioning things, of not freely thinking. And I think the Bible is a huge proponent of free thinking. And I'm not telling you that all conspiracy theories are true, guys. Like, I promise the Titanic sank, you know. <laughs> but at the same time... We can logically break things down without being slanderous, without spreading gossip, without spreading lies, but we, we can still be vigilant and think freely. And so I kind of want to talk about that. You know, I grew up, um, my, my in-laws uh, subscribed to uh, the National Enquirer because inquiring minds want to know. And uh, there is probably no greater collection of conspiracy theories and the amazing thing that I came to discover was that, now, not everything, but some of what they were writing was actually the result of sound journalistic uh, searching, and and some of it actually made sense, and inevitably it was true. Hmm. Okay. Like, uh, I, I do like to, li- like, I, I'm a sucker for listening to just ridiculous conspiracy theories even when i don't believe them i just love hearing how people connect those dots but but i think we i I don't know i think we can we can do that in a way that promotes christian living well you know through the ages i think the church has the 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 catholic church and then the the protestant church after it you're right in that it has proposed um logic uh, uh sound thinking it has uh, really focused on encouraging people to be rational in their approach to life and their approach to scripture in fact the church is uh, one of the reasons that our current educational system is what it is today uh, most of the institutions that are 150, 200 year old were created by the church. Harvard, Yale, right. uh, even their their uh, uh, constitutions or or acts of incorporation uh, reflect very Christian principles. Right. I actually I I heard Jeff Durbin from Apologia Church not too long ago saying how. He just loves the idea that so many scientists that are out trying to disprove the possibility of a God have to walk under an arch that says, like, to God be all glory. Like, as they walk to their <laughs> lab, you know, because they're in these these buildings, in these institutions that were created by the church. Now, that we have handed them over to more of a secular um, management board at this point. You know, we just kind of freely gave those up and— why I don't know, but probably money. <laughs> but um, it, yeah, it's it's sad and it's it is interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, we as Christians have to use logic. We we I mean, science is just using logical examining 
and and do you want to go into that a little? Even even that is is uh, you know so many people think that faith and uh, we we talked about faith our very first episode and uh, so many people think that faith is uh, just believing something even when you know it can't be true and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, faith is about understanding and and seeing God at work and in interpreting that and applying that to our daily living. So, yeah, um, being a Christian is all about um, not necessarily at all points thinking through everything that you believe and that you do, but it certainly is logical. If you wanted to, you can find logical bases for uh, why we believe what we believe. Not everybody does because not everybody is wired that way. But if you want to search out, you can find solid, rational bases for what it is that we believe. Right. And I do want to say as well, you know, like Randy just said, if even if you're not wired that way, you know someone who is. You you know, we, we all, as the body of Christ, have something we contribute. Some people are better listeners. Some people are better at breaking things down. Some people are more seekers for new information that we might not have seen before, you know. But when we all come together as the body of Christ, that's when we're fully functioning, and that's when we're fully developing. So you, you made a statement a little bit ago that science is not the enemy of Christianity, that, that those two things really do fit together. Absolutely true. In fact, there, there are quite a few scientists who are also theologians. Pascal, Blasé Pascal, uh, uh, very big in the area of mathematics, pure science. Uh, I My undergraduate degree was in mathematics, so we studied Pascal, and I was surprised to find out that he was also a theologian. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. And the father of calculus, Leibniz, was also a theologian. And in addition to, to sort of setting the stage for all of calculus, he uh, also wrote books on theology. It's fascinating. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Um, I mean, it's sort of the same thing with, uh, I mean, C.S. Lewis would have been more of a, you know, writer, philosopher, but he wasn't always a Christian, but he became one later. And I love reading his apologetics. He's so calculated and he, it's like reading something a scientist would write or a philosopher would write, but it's all grounded in a worldview where God is the sovereign Lord of the universe, you know, of all creation. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, if you've never looked into C.S. Lewis as well, I mean, that's it's a tough read, but it's great. C.S. Lewis is fascinating. He was the uh, professor of medieval literature. I think it was medieval literature at Oxford University. Yes. And, uh, in addition, we usually don't see the books. We read the Christian books that he wrote. But he wrote textbooks for literature and uh, it. They're fantastic. Some of those are still used today as uh, sources for really? people studying the literature. Yeah. You see, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Uh, I, I knew that he was a professor. I didn't know that he'd actually written textbooks, though. That's that's wild. Um, we did. We were talking about um, just kind of what 
what we wanted to kind of cover in this podcast, and one of the things you and I were kind of talking about is observing the Bible and trying to prove it from a scientific standpoint versus historical evidence. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I've heard quite a bit, uh, both from my time before in Latin America and and here today. Uh, Not real frequently, but every once in a while I'll come up with a person that says, uh, well, I don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead because you can't prove that scientifically. And when you think about it, they're absolutely right. You cannot prove it scientifically. That does not mean that Jesus did not raise from the dead. It just means that you can't apply one area of proof to something that it's not intended to prove. Scientific proof follows the scientific method, which essentially says uh, we create an experiment. Uh, in the experiment, we we do A and we add to it B, and the result is C. And to prove that that's accurate, we go back and we get more A and add to it more B, and C happens again. So we go back again, and if we add a and B and D happens, then it's disproven. Right. But how do you prove scientifically that Jesus rose from the dead when you can't go back and say, well, do it a second time and then do it a third time and then do it when I ask you to do it and under the conditions that I ask you to do it? Totally impossible, and it's absolutely inappropriate. More than impossible, it's inappropriate. Scientific proof is not the standard for examining Christ's resurrection. I cannot prove scientifically that George Washington exists. I can't prove scientifically that Zach Kelly is sitting right in front of me because science is not designed to prove that kind of thing. What we do need is historical proof. Or, if you would, legal proof. The kind of proof that's presented in a court of law. Right. That's based on testimony. That's based on observations and, in as much as we can attain it, objective testimony. So looking at Jesus' existence, um, many people may not know. We have, of course, the Bible, which is written by Jesus' followers. And so some people will throw out the Bible and say, well, it's written by his followers, so we can't really accept their testimony. Not totally accurate. Uh, Their testimony can still be objective, especially when we realize that there are four individuals who write about Jesus's life from different points of view. And it's actually, when when you examine what they say, They have a different perspective. They may have heard a different thing that Jesus said here or seen it from a different angle. But in addition to that, there are other writers at Jesus' time who also refer to Jesus. One of them is Josephus, who wrote about 30, 40 years later than, than Jesus. But he refers back to a man named Joshua, who had a group of followers that were still following him after his death. So that's interesting. He is identified as Joshua ben Joseph, Joshua the son of Joseph, and of course, 
Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. Right. In addition, in the Babylonian Talmud, which is a Jewish document, it refers to a rabbi in the first century named Joshua who practiced magic and cast demons out of people. And if you look at what the Pharisees did about four different times in the four different Gospels, they accused Jesus of being filled with Beelzebub, mm-hmm. a magician. Okay. This is a magician. And what did they say? He exercises demons by the power of demons. The Babylonian Talmud says exactly that. It's an external testimony about Jesus' existence. Now, there are a couple of really great books written on this. Josh McDowell, More Than a Carpenter, and More Than a Carpenter too. He also wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict and More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Then more recently, Lee Strobel, uh, The Case for Christ. All of these men looked at the the episode, the, the event of the resurrection, and examine it historically and find overwhelming evidence supporting Christ's resurrection. That's awesome. I uh, actually, while, while you were talking about these different sources, I was thinking of a few that I'd, I'd read over the years. And so I just kind of pulled up a quick search on that. But I mean, we, we, you've got Josephus. Um, and while he did not there's a lot of controversy over whether he actually said Jesus was the Son of God. That's always that's been written off as a later uh, contribution. Um, but J- Josephus does mention Jesus. Um, you have Tacitus, yeah. uh, Marabara Serapian, uh, the Sistoni, uh, Suetonius, uh, which would be a Roman historian, uh, the Talmud, like you said. Um, and then there are a few minor sources like uh, Pliny the Younger, Thalfus, or Thallus, sorry, uh, Phlegon of Trails, uh, Philo, Celsus, and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I thought it was really interesting because I've actually read from uh, what you were talking about in the Talmud where Jesus was referenced as a sorcerer. Celsus said the exact same thing, and he was 3rd century, and he believed it, you know, <laughs> and he, was a, he would have been a Greek historian. But And that's not even getting into uh, the members of the church that wrote back about Jesus. Right. Um, you, you throw those into the mix, and you have literally hundreds of people referencing both Jesus' existence and his resurrection. Well, the other thing that blows my mind, um, there, there's actually more information pointing that Jesus Christ existed and was crucified and that he rose than there is that Alexander the Great was even a person. <laughs> so, I mean, But we don't dispute that at all. You know, We don't right. think twice about that. Right. But Jesus is such a controversial figure. There's a lot of people that don't want him to exist. It's easy to 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 pretend when you don't like it. You know, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, apologetics. Apologetics. There's something we 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 were actually talking about recently with uh, a lot of millennials and Gen Z members. They they're interested, at least Christians. Um, are interested in learning apologetics. It's it's making a case for your faith, defending the faith. 
And it's always funny when I say the word apologetics to someone who doesn't know that word because it sounds like you're apologizing, but it's, <laughs> it's not what it is. No, not at all. <laughs> um, but I, I've found I can make more common ground with so many people my age. I'm about 27. Um, I am 27. I don't know why I said about. But um, with people my age and – when when I'm talking from a, an apologetic standpoint, when I'm making logical reasoning, when I'm using science, when I'm using the Bible grounded in reality and and not just making bold claims like knowing what I believe and why I believe it. And I've been able to bridge more gaps between people who – like I've met – I work with two Muslim guys. I have several acquaintances that are – uh, Nordic deists, I know, uh, agnostics, atheists, but I just find that people that are willing to sit down and actually talk, if you can make logical reasons for your faith, that conversation generally doesn't end in anger. But when you just start shoving beliefs down people's throats without any reasoning and telling them why they're wrong, that's not what we're called to do. Or telling them, no, you just got to believe it. You just right, you just have it. to believe it yeah. based on nothing. I mean, that's not that's not why Jesus came into reality. He didn't come here so we would just blindly believe something without any reasoning. I mean, he provided us reasoning. When Thomas doubted Jesus, Jesus didn't scold him. Jesus held out his hands so Thomas could feel the holes in his hands, you know? And I, I think that we are allowed to question we're allowed to freely think and, and work through truths. We are definitely allowed to question. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Matthew 28. I think it's verse 16 where uh, Jesus tells the disciples to meet him on, on the mountain where he's going to be, tra- be raised up into heaven. And the Scripture says when they got there, they saw Jesus and they worshiped him. And then there's these three words, but some doubted. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered about that. So I, I looked at it, and I read it in Greek, and I discovered that that's actually not a real good translation. It does not say that they worship Jesus, but some doubted. It says that they worship Jesus, and they doubted. Oh. It wasn't some. It was all of them. Right. So I dug a little bit deeper, and I found out in the New Testament there are two different words for doubt. One word for doubt is uh, the word that literally means to choose not to believe. Okay. This is not that word. This word means to be of two minds. Right. It's translated in one passage in the New Testament as confused. So they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but they didn't have all the answers. They had questions still in their minds. And I thought about that, and I thought, well, gosh, yeah. Right. I would have had questions, too. I mean, mean, I saw him die (laughs) 50 days ago, and and here he is. (laughs) Right. Uh, I would have had all kinds of questions. And Jesus never turns away the questions. And I think that there's this really toxic view on Christianity that if you doubt, and I mean, this is coming, this is at Christians. This is critical of strictly Christians. I can't tell you how many people I know 
that think that they're not a Christian because they have doubts. Hmm. And that's the craziest thing ever. Like, I have questions all the time, but at this point in my life, I've had enough questions throughout my life about Christianity that every time I dig deep enough, I always get a sufficient answer. At least one that points me in the right direction. One that puts my mind at ease. And I think there are um, certain groups of people or certain people who look at people with doubts and think that their faith isn't genuine. And I, that is, that's sad. Zach, can I tell you a secret? Let's hear it. Just you and me. Yeah. Just, nobody just else. us. Nobody, nobody else. <laughs> nobody else. Right. So I believe the Bible is history. I believe the Bible is true. I believe that the Bible is accurate as it's written in the context and the culture in which it was written. Right. Okay. One of the problems that I think people have is they try to apply 20th, 21st century culture and context to Scripture. Correct. And it wasn't written for that. When I was growing up, I'll get back to where I was going, but when I was growing up, there was an advertisement for ivory soap. It was 99.44% pure. They don't use that byline today because today you would say, well, what's the 0.56%? Right. What is that 0.56% purity? What am I rubbing on my body? So, you know, even in my lifetime, culture has changed that what before was an overwhelming purity. Today it's not 100%, man. It's not, it's not good enough. So um, – where I was going with that, Zach, we, we, we were talking about something and I've gotten off on soap. You, we were talking about um, the Bible being applied within its context, with to, in, the, in its original language to the people it was intended to be That's to. That's right. And not just taking our context and applying it. So the secret that I have for you is I believe the Bible is true. I believe the Bible is accurate. I believe the Bible is history. There are things in the Bible that don't make sense to me. There are things that when I read them, they look to me like contradictions. But what I've learned over the years is that if I dig deep enough, what I discover is the problem is not in the Bible. It's in my understanding of one or the other of those passages. So I'm willing to live with a certain amount of supposed contradiction knowing that it's probably because I have not understood things adequately. And if I really did, that would resolve it. That it, it would be explained. Right. Does that make no, sense I to you? You're absolutely right. My my favorite way I've heard that Don't put, tell anybody, okay. I won't. I won't if you don't. Um I my favorite way that I've heard that same kind of idea put is the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. We have to look from the context of the person it was written to in order to know how that can apply. That's to a us. great distinction. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing. Just fewer words, but less less uh, description, of course. Um, but I literally had to deal with this yesterday. I was writing a paper over judges, and I was writing about the different judges, and I had to answer specific questions about them. And I just think it's funny how much the Bible doesn't explain when it's describing certain people. And one of the people was Ehud. 
and it, it's telling why Ehud was chosen as a judge. And it says, God raised up a left-handed man, Ehud. And I'm like, why does that matter? And so I had to go Google this because I'm just like, what, what would that have to do with anything? And what happens is Ehud, um, he goes in and – do you remember the king's name that he Moab. kills? Uh, king uh, Eglon of Moab. Yeah, Eglon of Moab. Uh, he goes in and he tells Eglon, I have a secret for you. And uh, or I have I have a message from God for you. So he gets right up to England and he stabs him in the gut with a sword that he's created that's only about a cubit long, eighteen inches. Right, eighteen inches. So it's it's fairly short. And he stabs him and kills him, and then he he flees. But the reason that's important that he was left-handed is most people are right-handed, and so most people would wear a sword on their left thigh. But he wore his underneath his garment on his right thigh. So they didn't check him there. So they didn't find the sword. And, like, it does not explain any of that. But you would have just known that if you carried a sword in the Near East, you know? If you lived at that time, you would know that left-handed people just didn't exist. Right. Right. That's a very strange thing. It's very uncommon. But that that's why that's so important. And so, yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about. Though. You have to go and you have to put yourself in the mindset of this person that's receiving this information from the scripture. Pretend you're the first person that ever read it, you know? Ehud is one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, and uh, we are toying with the idea of maybe doing a series sermon, a sermon series on judges, and uh, I'll preach Ehud when we get there. Yeah. Because it is fascinating what he does. Uh, you could write a uh, at least a half-hour television show on really? Ehud's life and, and just be captivated by the whole thing. Well, I think I think the whole of Judges is just mind-blowing. It's so good. But it's probably my favorite book, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, let's see here. <laughs> so we kind of started what, – what were you going to – Yeah, Zach, what, what we're really getting at in all of this is truth. What is truth? Right. Which of course that's that's Pilate's question to Jesus. I was I was just looking at that passage uh, before we got started here. Jesus goes before Pilate, and Pilate says, "Are you the King of the Jews?" Jesus doesn't answer his question. He never answers that question. He says, "Is this your question, or did others tell you to ask me?" And Pilate gets mad at him. He said, "Am I Jew?" Uh, your own people brought me, brought you to me for a trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus says, well, my kingdom's not an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus says, if you say so. <laughs> if you say so. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate then says, well, what is truth? But he goes out and he says, this guy's innocent. He hasn't done anything. Now they pressure him into crucifying Jesus, which he does because a man's life is not worth his political position. Right. Uh, they say, if you don't crucify him, you're no friend of Caesar's. And so Pilate does have him crucified. 
But it's Jesus' statement that what I say is true that's really at the basis of everything that we've been talking about. What is that truth? How do we understand that truth? And how do we objectively look at that truth? We should never fear an objective look at at the Bible. An objective look at the historical events around the Bible because they are true. Right. Absolutely. And and we've talked about, it was just a few weeks ago in a sermon, I believe it was you, um, quoted, was it C.S. Lewis, stating, you know, if, if Jesus Christ is who he says he is, if he is who he says he is, then he's the Lord of the universe, and that his word is truth, and we should hang on his every word. But if he's not, then he's a madman, and you should throw it all out the window. That's right. And or a he, liar. Right. And if he's not who he said he was, I, I would make the argument from when the Messiah was supposed to come into the world is exactly when Jesus came into the world. And if he is not him, then you can throw the Old Testament out the book, too. It's <laughs> it's all trash. Get rid of all of it if he's not who he said he was. You know, Lewis's whole quote there and what he was trying to say was – The one thing that you cannot say is that Jesus was a good moral teacher, but he was just a man. Right. Because he claimed to be God. So he's either nuts or he's a con artist. Right. And those are the only two choices that you really have. You cannot say he's a good moral teacher. Right. And I mean, and from that point, you could go down the rabbit hole of. Well, you know what? What is what is morality based on? Where where do good things? I mean, if there if there is no God, then we are living in a meaningless void, and it doesn't matter what you do. But I'm telling you, there is a God, and it does matter what you do. And His name is Jesus Christ, and it's through His Word in Scripture that we can know what is right and what is truth and what is good. And we as Christians have to uphold that. That's 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 our job. We've been deputized by Jesus to be his representatives on this earth. That's why we're doing this podcast. We want to help equip people to be a reflection of Jesus. And so, you know, take take what you learn from Scripture. Take what you learn when you're sharpened by other Christians and go out and be good and love people and just be Jesus. That's that's it. That's, Is that fair? That is absolutely <laughs> fair. Yeah, that's really what it's all about. When we talk about apologetics, um, you know, after you get over the whole misnomer of apologizing, uh, you tend to think that it's about, okay, it's about did Jesus exist and was he raised from the dead? And that's part of it. But deep apologetics is really about a rational approach and defense of the entire Christian life. Why do I tell the truth? Why do I love my wife, my children? Why is it that we seek the good for society? There are coherent, rational, um, meaningful reasons for the things that Christians do. Right, and and it's grounded on more than just, oh, well, because God said so. God is logical. God's decisions make sense. I can't really think of a ton that God does in the Bible just to say, Eh, I just did it. You know, like there it's with reason. It is always with reason. Now maybe that reason's for his glory. But more often than not, it's because it's applicational to our lives. 
we the more we we learn about psychology the more we learn about uh, uh sociology the more convinced i am that scripture is just true truth if it is truth it has its root in god it has its root in scripture i'm with you i'm with you i don't know what to add to that so <laughs> I think this might be where we call it, but I, uh, yeah, as always, man, enjoyed talking with you and I hope that whoever is listening to this, that you will take this and just meditate on it. I mean, that's what the scripture of God was originally intended to be. It's, it's Hebrew meditative literature. You're supposed to sit on it and think on it and let it change you from the inside out. So take these things. Don't take our word for it. Go read the Bible and, uh, go out there and be salt and light to the people around you and stay salty. And oftentimes, you know, you're chasing happiness, but you don't know that God is the best way to achieve the happiness you're looking for. And so I was trying to end my suffering by sinning, but I only ended up sinning my way into more suffering. That was Grammy winner Lecrae unpacking his testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear artists, songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.